Today I have a little treat for you. You have your notes in there, but on the back side of your notes are some prayer tips. This first set of prayer tips I got from uh, uh, a man who's a very famous pastor, and he kind of laid out uh, just a, a, a nice way to pray. For instance, if you use your right hand, who to pray for? You start with your thumb, which is closest to you, and that's family and friends. Your index finger, those who point the way, like leaders and teachers. Your middle finger is the tallest, so you pray for the influencers in your life and in the world, authorities. Fourth finger is the weakest finger, so you pray for those that are sick or children or elderly. And your little finger, you can pray for yourself because that's we pray last for ourselves. And then who to pray for? Your thumb is closest to your heart, so pray for my heart to be right with God. Your index finger is first, uh, so you pray for priorities. What's, what should be first in your life? Your middle finger stands out, so pray for influence in your example. Your ring finger stands for your relationships, like, for instance, with your wife, your family, your friends. And your little finger, the last finger, stands for material things, and we always want to put those last because God says if we seek his kingdom first, he'll take care of the material things. Amen? And then one more thing I'd like to just I talk about the power of praying, uh, praying in tongues because it, you speak directly to God. You build yourself up personally, and it allows you to pray when you don't know what to pray about. And there's scriptures for each of those. So let me encourage you to just use that as, as kind of some tips as uh, we go through this time, continue to pray. How many know it's good we prayed for 21 days, or, all right? But we got to pray for more than 21 days. How many think we should keep going? <laughs> I think we should. I think it's a good idea. By the way, I've, as you know, we had, I had tongue cancer about two years ago. Praise God, it's all healed. Amen. Amen. But I have less saliva today, so I brought just little helpers, okay? And I brought a little of this so if I need it. But I'm looking forward to pray, preaching right now. So we're going to talk today about communion with God in prayer, because we've been on this emphasis of prayer. And I want to point out, first of all, the charm of communion. In other words, there's a special joy in communion with God. There's a special joy in communion with God, and it should be delightful. You know what? Sometimes prayer becomes a chore. How many believe it shouldn't be a chore? Come on. Listen to what the scripture says in Psalm 36. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now listen to this verse. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river, not a creek, not a fountain. What? A river of delights. By the way, my granddaughter, my youngest granddaughter is here in the amen section right down here. That's little Marley. So glad my daughter, my youngest daughter would come and bring her daughter. So they're, we're delighted. So if you hear... Her, that's just her saying amen to grandpa. But think about a river of delights, a river of delights. A noted writer one time was, she was kind of going through a difficult time. She felt lonely. She felt kind of out of place, struggling. And she read that scripture about God's river of delights. And so as she was reading that, she began to meditate on it. And she thought, I'm sitting by God's river. I'm sitting by God's river of delights. And she said, I have my little demi-tasse cup in my hand. And I'm just going to dip the little demi-tasse cup in the river, and I'm going to sip from it. And it was like 
she understood all of a sudden God spoke to her and said, no, 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 it's not a little demitasse kept tipping in the water. No, you need to dive into the river of delights. And God, that's why he made a river, not so you could just take a little cup, but so you could get into the middle of it and swim in it and live in it. How many can say an amen to that, right? You see, what God is talking about, he's trying to, our relationship with him should be like the most amazing banquet, like the most amazing feast. Listen to what the psalmist says. Taste and see, Psalm 34a, taste and see that the Lord is good. Wow. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. In other words, this whole thing is about, about experiencing God. When we commune with God in prayer, we begin to enter in. I was watching someone today. They were so overwhelmed earlier in our pre-service. They could not even sit down or stand up. They literally went down to their knees and their face went into the carpet because they were so overwhelmed at tasting, experiencing, drinking in, being immersed in God's glory. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's Imagine this. You're walking around the mall. And you're walking out of the mall, and all of a sudden, through the air, comes these tiny molecules of cinnamon soaked in sugar. <laughs> and you start smelling that, and pretty soon you're right there in front of the cinnamon place, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's just, it's got a hold of you. It's, it's just, you're just drinking it, and that's the way God's presence is, friends. You begin to sense it, and you want more of it, and the deeper you go, it's a river, and you're just feasting. And this is what communion with God is. It's a love affair with God. It's a love affair with God. It's interesting all the things that people have a love affair with. You know, some people have a love affair with sports. Some people have a love affair with money. Some people have a love affair with cars. Some people have a love affair with all kinds of things. But most of all, having a love affair with God. Because you know what? No matter how many sports, or no matter how many cars, or no how much money, or how many things you can be in love with, when you fall in love with God, you've got a lover that is the most amazing, fantastic lover ever. And can I hear an amen? You know, you can tell when someone's in love. You can. You know, years ago, I was, uh, I was a member of this special club. We called ourselves Bachelors Till the Rapture. And, you know, I was just, I didn't want, I was going to be single and, and I was going to, you know, I was going to be celibates for Christ. And then one day I met Claudia, <laughs> and everything changed. And you know, people would say, "Bob, you've got this funny smile on your face. You've got you. There's like something going on inside. You know, because when you fall in love, it's some, it just it changes your life. It's amazing. And, and uh, but why? My question is this. When we fall in love with God, why does it love wane? Why, why do, when we're, some of you maybe can remember when you were a young Christian and you just, it was Jesus, Jesus in the morning, Jesus at noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. And you, why does that love, that, why does it seem to fade away? What happens? Well, here's what it says. First love should be a normal part of our lives. A normal part. You know, I, I was reading about this lady, she's, she, she, she's a counselor, and she talks about, you know, she helps people with their marriage and relationships. And you know what she said? She said to her husband when they got married, she says, I'm not going to wear this dress only on our wedding day. I'm going to wear this dress again. I'm going to wear it every anniversary. So their first anniversary, they're getting ready to go, and they were going to go golfing. So she was wearing it on the green, hitting, <laughs> hitting clubs. She said, this is that moment, I want to remember it. I want to renew it. I want it to be going over and over again. 
And you see, that's, that's what God wants us to do. It's amazing how important that is. You see, maybe, maybe we need a fresh touch from God. Maybe That's what prayer does. That's what 21 days of prayer can do to you. And that's what going on in a daily seeking of God can give you a kind of a fresh touch. You know, years ago, there was this commercial. It was for Kellogg's Corn Flakes. And this is what it said. Taste them again for the first time. Taste them again for the first time. Maybe we need to have another taste of God. Maybe we need to go back and say, God, the first century church, the first century church had this problem. You see, Jesus wrote to them and spoke to them through the prophet John. And he said, have you persevered and you have endured hardship? Revelation 2, verse 3. For my name you have grown, not grown weary. So they were doing a lot of good things. But notice this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I wonder what love does. What does love do? What does first love do? First love pursues. The psalmist talked about it. Like the deer panting for the water, so my soul longs for you. Psalm 40, we go after God. We yearn for God. We pursue God. I was, <laughs> there was a minister in Edinburgh, and he was preaching in a church. And, and on that day, a missionary came back to visit the church, a young woman. She'd been a nurse in Afghanistan. <laughs> and she came back. And she, and she got up and shared her testimony, how she was there. But while she was in Afghanistan, she fell in love with a young man. And he wanted to, to get married, and she wanted to get married. But she said, you know what? I've got to go back to my church because they sent me over here, and I've got to make sure that they're okay with this. So she came back to England or to Edinburgh, to Scotland there, and she was there on that day when he, this man was speaking there. And as he was speaking, he looked out in the audience, and he saw this one young man uh, near the front row, and he had the strangest look in his face. And he wondered, who was that man? Well, when the, lady shot, the young lady sat down, uh, he turned to her, and he said, who's that guy in the front row? And she said, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy that wants to marry me. And he goes, oh, well, I thought he was in Afghanistan. And she goes, yes, he was. But when he heard I was coming to Scotland to find out whether or not I could marry him, he got on a plane and came too. You know, that's what love does. It pursues. It goes after the thing that it loves. And if we love God, we're going to go after him, friends. We're going to pursue him. You see, I think healthy love grows. It continues to grow. In Philippians, here's how Paul prays. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You know, Claudia and I just celebrated 50 years of marriage. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. But you know what is amazing? Our love is still growing. I remember years ago, a minister speaking, and he says, you know, I, I love my wife so much today. He says, I can't imagine what I loved her with when I married her. In other words, love should be growing. It should be going. And hopefully it because doesn't become stale. Don't let that happen. You know, a famous minister said, uh, Francis Schaeffer, listen to this. He said, we must ask, do I fight merely for doctrinal faithfulness? This is like the wife who never sleeps with anybody else, but never shows love to her own husband. Wow. If somebody, people get bored with God, they kind of wander off. You know, they've been in church for a while, and it's the same old, same old. I love the fact that every week we hear Pastor Todd praying in the pre-service, Lord, we don't want just another Sunday. Lord, we want something fresh. We want something new. But sometimes we just kind of get used to it and we wander off and you wonder why, why? And you know, God's heart is broken by fickle lovers. 
Listen to this scripture. It's in Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. In the early days, they were just in love with God. But now their heart had grown cold. And, you know, we take God's, we take God's love for granted. You know, uh, there's a thing in your brain, a protein, is called NGF. It's the nerve growth factor. And this protein literally renews the neurons in your brain. And they did a study, and they studied people that were first in love, whether they were engaged or on their, their very early years of marriage. And they said, this, this protein is increased immensely in those early days of that love experience. But in about two and a half years, it starts to fade away. And they did a survey of 5,000 couples, and they found out that by a two and a half years that they begin to take each other for granted. The guys don't pick up after themselves anymore. Okay, the ladies kind of quit, you know, worrying about, you know, looking nice for their husband or their lover. And gradually, that first love fades away. Let's not get used to the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Let's not take him for granted. And you know, we won't if we spend time with him every day. You know, that's one of the be best ways to secure this problem. It's just to spend time with God every day. If we're charmed by him. You see, here's the great thing. Pastor Todd and Katie are going to a wedding. Your sister's getting married, right? And you've seen him probably. They love each other, but they're saving each other for marriage. They're waiting for that big moment. But you know, when you're charmed with someone, you want to move to the next level. You want to get alone with them. And that's the next point. You know, if we have the charm of communion, we're going to go in the closet of communion. We're going to want to go in that place. Listen to what Jesus said. It's a secret place of intimacy. There's things God wants to show you that he's never going to show you when you're around other people. It's only going to be with him when you're alone with him. In Matthew 6, here's what Jesus said. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. It's all about public thing. It's all out there. And that's what, you know, that's not, I'm not saying we never play in public. We do that here. But he's getting to the heart of this. And listen to what he says. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Quiet times. I love this next slide. Can we go to that? Here's a pastor in his prayer room, and these ladies are bursting in the door. We don't know what you're doing in here, but we've been waiting for five minutes to talk to you about the broken hand dryer in the ladies' room. I don't know if you can see that. I love it because it's like God and the angels are down about to touch this man, and he's all alone in his office just trying to connect with God. And God is calling us to that place. 
Listen to what Psalm 91 says. He who dwells, dwells. That means it's, you know, I dwell in the house. So, you know what? I spend a lot of time there. I go there regularly. I sleep there. I live there. I eat there. And God is saying there's a place when you can dwell in the secret place with God. He who dwells in the secret place <coughs> of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. As we spend time with God, we begin to understand who he is. He's not just God. He's Savior. But he's not just Savior. He's friend. He's big brother. He's father. He's lover. We begin to understand who he is. You know, you may know me as Pastor Bob, and if you know me as Pastor Bob, well, you may know some of my themes and thoughts and ideas. You may know some of the food you've heard me preach about, In-N-Out Burgers. Okay, just kidding. But you may know some of the things I like, but you really, really don't know me. But if, if you call me Bob, well, then maybe you're a little closer and you know some more things about me. If you, if you call me Dad, well, you know some things about me that my kids who have lived with me many, many years, they know me in a way. If you call me honey, well, you know me like Claudia knows me, and uh, that's the only person that knows me like that. <laughs> and she knows, she knows whether or not I snore, and she won't tell, okay? And if you know me as Grandpa, you can crawl up in my lap and grab my goatee and go, yeah, that, Grandpa, that's weird. What are you doing, you know? But we want to know God in an intimate sense. And how do we get there? We get there by going to this inner court, to this inner place, that secret room. Listen to God speaking through Ezekiel to the Levites. These were the priests. These are the ones that are supposed to be close to God. It says, and the Levites who went from me, when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. As gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house, they shall stay, slay the burnt offerings and sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before me to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore I have raised my hand in oath against them, says the Lord, that they shall bear their iniquity. And they shall, listen to this word, they shall not come near to me to minister to me as priests, nor come near to my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abomination what they have committed. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, these people, they went away. They drifted. They got caught up in the, in the things of the world, and, and they just they wanted to stay out there. And so this is what he said. Nevertheless, I will make them keep the charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. In other words, they'll, get, they'll have a, a place. And sometimes we can have a place in Christianity. We can say we're Christians. We can, we can you know, carry our Bible, go to church. But we're, God's a long ways away. But we don't have to be that way. He says this. He says this. But the priests, verse 15, the Levites, the son of Zadok, who have kept charge of my sanctuary, when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me. Wow. To minister to me. And they shall stand before me and to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. Wow. What happened was they didn't value God's presence. They said, we can go in there, but we're bored with that. We don't want that. We want to go out here and all these other things. Sometimes we can not recognize how valuable God's presence really is. There was a 
family, Mr. and Mrs. A. Douglas Oliver, and they had gone to a to uh, uh, some store and they'd seen this vase. It was a Ming vase. It was from the Ming dynasty. It was this beautiful vase, and they bought it. It was amazing. They bought it for 150 bucks in the 40s. And then they just had it for years. It was sitting there in their home. It was part of their, their everyday life. 150 bucks. But then they put it up for auction in 1976. And it was worth $260,000. Can you imagine, you know? Well, it's only 150 bucks. If it falls over, it breaks, whatever. They didn't know the value of what they had. Friends, hear me. There's nothing more precious than the presence of God. There's nothing more precious than being able to come near to God. And you don't want to ever undervalue that. Can I hear an amen, church? We don't want to ever treat that like it's nothing important. We've got to do we've got to do that. So followers of Jesus, we're coming close to the end here, but hang with me. Followers of Jesus have the privilege of coming into the inner court. And this is a place, this is a place of intimacy with God in the heavenlies. Do you know when you go into that place and you enter in in prayer with God, listen to how Paul describes us. Listen, this is him writing and he's saying to the Colossians in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. But then listen to this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God, with God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <laughs> you know, this one guy, he, he was a scientist, and he, he always thought, where's God? He wasn't a Christian. He, was, he, was, he just thought, where's God? And he was, he was thinking about that. And he said, well, there was this big bang, and if there's a God, then we know he was there starting everything. So he said, he went to NASA and he said to the NASA guys, where, where's, uh, where did the, the Big Bang start? And they pointed out this star cluster called M13. And he thought, that's probably where God is. So he raised a bunch of money and he got a, uh, an antenna, radio antenna, and pointed it out at M13 and hooked it up to a website. And today he has a website, and you can go on that website, and they get 50,000 prayers a week typed into the website and sent beamed out towards M13. How many know we don't need no website? Amen. <laughs> we just go into that quiet place and we get right connected with God. And his presence is right there, right on top of us. Hebrews 8 says this, the true sanctuary 
of heaven, which Moses caught a glimpse of as he was about to set up the tent shrine. It was then God said, be careful to do exactly what you saw on the mountain. When he built the tabernacle, and later when they built the temple, it was designed just like heaven. In other words, there was an outer court, and then there was a holy place, and then there was a holy of holies. And God is saying that's a pattern. We, we leave our sins and our, 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 our failures at the, at the altar of sacrifice, and we wash in the laver, and we go into the holy place and we eat the bread and we see the light and we come before the altar of incense and we worship God and then we go beyond the veil into the very holy of holies and we have we're in God's living presence what an awesome awesome thing and and then later he writes in Hebrews so friends we can now look at this verse we can now not later without hesitation walk right up to God into the holy place Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. Wow. You know, I, we were in Washington years ago, and uh, I wanted to go to the White House, but, and we had friends there that were friends of some of the congressmen, and, and I thought I'd get to go, but I didn't get to go to the White House. I was kind of disappointed. But you know what? You may think that you can go anywhere. You know, I'll tell you right now, if you, I could go, hey, I'm Bob Maddox. I'm going to White House. I'm going to see the president. I walk up to would you let me in? I'm Bob Maddox. I'm sorry. I'm not getting in. How many realize you don't have access, right? But when we get saved, we have an all-access pass to the presence of God, friends. We can walk right into the throne room of the living God. And yet some, you know, people, well, if you went to your friend and said, well, I got access to this concert. I went backstage. I went to the green room. Or I went, you know, I was at a game and I got to go in the locker room and hang out with these people. But friends, that's nothing to hanging out with God. Whoa. And yet we think if we treat it so lightly, knowing God means we'll set a, a priority to seek his presence. I'm closing with this thought. Listen to what the psalmist said. The one thing I want from God, the thing I seek most of all, is the privilege of meditating in his temple, living in his presence, what? Every day of my life, delighting in his incomparable perfections and glory. There I will be when trouble comes. He will hide me. He will set me on high on a rock out of reach of my enemies. Wow. Let me encourage you, when you seek God, seek him with your Bible open. Seek him in prayer and seek him in his word. You know, there, there's a, a, a Bible in the Library of Congress. And this Bible was made in the 18th century by a man who had been a worthless, a wretched sinner. But when he got saved, he was so so grateful to God. So he set and became a monk, and he sent to copy the whole Bible. Every single letter is perfect. You can take a magnifying glass, look at that book today, and there's not one flaw in the book anywhere. Every letter is perfect. And he spent his entire life copying that book down. And when he came to the last page, now as an old man about to go into eternity, he kissed it and closed the book. Hopefully we learn to love God's word like that. Psalm 65. How greatly to be envied are those who choose to come and live within the holy tabernacle of your courts. What joys await them among all the good things there.
God's waiting for you, for you and me. He's just waiting for us. 21 days was awesome. But what I'm asking you guys, let's take it from here and go forward. You don't have to come here. And you don't have to do it at 6. Maybe the best time of day for you is noon or wherever. But we can just kind of be, we can be pressing into God. We can be pressing into God. Thomas Carlyle, who was an, an 18th century uh, historian, was a very arrogant man, very successful man. He fell in love with his secretary. But you know what? As a couple of years of marriage went by, he, uh, he started treating her like an employee. And uh, it was really sad because she got cancer, and as she had cancer, she was uh, bedridden. And eventually she died. He came home from the funeral. It had been raining there at the graveside. And he walked through the rain back to, the, back to his house. And he went up to his room. He was to her room. He was really stricken with grief. And he walked around the room and he saw her diary there on the shelf. He'd never, while she was alive, would never have read the diary. But he picked the diary up and he opened it and this is what he read. Yesterday, he spent an hour with me. It was like being in heaven. I love him so much. Then he turned a few more pages. I listened all day to hear his steps in the hallway, and now it's late. I guess he won't come to see me. And he looked, kept looking through the book, and finally he just closed the book and threw it to the ground. And he ran through the rain out to the grave, and he fell on his knees, and he just said, if I'd only known, if I'd only known, and I think if God doesn't say sometimes to us, I've been waiting to hear your steps as you come to the secret place. I'm waiting for you to come and commune with me.